February 25th, 2024. Let's begin again and learn today Pere Café of Misilat Yesharim. Pere Café, the second to last in the Sefer Misilat Yesharim, is Bederich Kiniyat HaYir'ah. We talked about Yir'ah in Pere Kaftalid, or fear of heaven, but more specifically of what he called Yirat Het, which means that even in the in-betweens, not specifically in doing a mitzvah or avoiding an avira, in everything that we look to achieve and to be involved in in life, there's this feeling of the presence of God, the understanding of my mission and my direction. That was yir'ah, asher adam mefahed tamid, an interesting pasuk. Praiseworthy is the person who's fearing at all times because it means tamid, this constant, means that I have a constant cognizance, a constant thought, consciousness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's involvement. And therefore, to achieve that, as Mesilat Yesharim explains Ramchal, is no simple feat. He says, if you're looking to achieve this, you can focus on, and like always, it's two issues, but he kind of rolls them into one two matters which can give you this feeling, this perspective. And the second, although he doesn't call it the second purposefully, the description of Ramchal is to focus, to contemplate, to realize God's uh, ability and constant involvement to be involved and watching over all at once uh, for eternity. Uh, the description, of course, as I said last week, needs a lot more um, description uh, in terms of details. It needs a lot more, what does that mean, that there's a hashkahat timidit, Obviously, that'll open the gates for uh, immense conversation, for books and books to be written about what does it mean about God's involvement, how do we explain tragedies, and so on and so forth. To the extent that the Gemara Berachot says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was posed the question by Moshe, why is it that there's Sadiq Vera, Rasha Vetov, how do you explain what seems like unfair treatment from God if God is constantly involved. If El if God is the perfect judge and he is a mashkiach timidi, how do you explain any and all of the occurrences of life? Not unfortunately our conversation for right now. But to accept a hashkahapisukim in the Torah which make clear God's eyes are on certainly Eretz Yisrael, on his people. There is an underlying coursing through involvement, um, uh, engagement in the world from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that hashkaha, that surveillance, that watching over, is not only, this is the second issue, on the great and grand matters, subjectively defined by you and me, but rather on the small ones as well, even objectively small ones, that's God's involvement. Hakol, bakol, mikol, kol, in all, at all, uh, in a full sense. That's the description. As we discussed last week, and to briefly mention it again, this, this putting these two matters together is very telling with regards to a, a proper understanding or beginning of understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his involvement with the world. It touches on uh, very Kabbalistic and philosophical notions, and that is to perceive of God and his involvement with human beings brings forth a certain paradox of sorts. On the one hand, to say that something which is 
finite, the world, human beings, uh, can be brought forth by something or someone who is infinite has always uh, disturbed the great Kabbalists and Jewish thinkers of old. How could he bring forth a world which, so to speak, is, is set in place? Shaddai, she'amar le'olamodai, kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch was able to stop the continuous growth of existence, while he himself is absolutely infinite. It's for that reason, without getting into the full details, that the Hachmeha Kabbalah, the mystical scholars of old and of present day, talk about what's called Simtsum. God Kivyachol contracted himself. He needed to take himself out in order for allow, to allow for the existence of this world. What does that mean? It means he's not in? No, no, no. It means that to bring forth in some conceptual way, he needed to take his essence a bit out. Something that's infinite, if it's going to allow for something that is finite to exist, needs to remove itself a little bit. At the same time, though, that's what we call misabbev kal'amin, kivyachol ha'kadosh baruch hu, surrounding existence, he's memale kol'amin. He injects himself into it, which means to say, don't imagine that after the existence of the world, God is only uh, surveying it from above. He injects himself inward as well. It's the words of the Midrash in truth, as I mentioned in Parashat Terumah, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, <clears throat> that same word, Mitzamtzim, he contracted himself into the Mishkan. I can be Mitzamtzim into it. The description, again, very clearly is one in which... So uh, that is the principle uh, with regards to um, what he's describing over here at Amcha, that it's both Davar Katan and Davar Gadol. And for me, the easiest way to truly appreciate that is to think about uh, some of, as I mentioned, the greatest people we know. The greatest people we know have a grand and broad vision, while at the same time the ability to pay attention and be involved in the nuances. Uh, that's a very significant description. We look at our role models as people who not only have the breadth and the vision, but are able to see the specifics as well. Uh, says Ramhal, once you wrap your head around that, you're beginning to understand God's involvement, God's abilities, uh, that can and should bring you to Yir'am. There should be no distinction for me and you between a gadol and a katan. We have to, as the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot, accept all mitzvot. Don't be mechashev sechan mitzvah. Don't think about what's greater. You don't know the difference. We can't, because great people, great beings understand it's all a part of a single synthesized essence. That's the Akadosh Baruch Hu that we're describing, the Gadol and the Katon. He continues and he cites Pesukim for this, Mesilat Yasharim does. Huma she'amar ha-katuv melochola aretz kebodo. Pasuk says in Yeshaya that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence uh, is throughout the world. Ve'omer, halo et ha-shamayim ve'et ha-aretz So again, he's filling earth, he's filling the world as we know it, but he is at the same time filling both heavens and earth. Ve'omer, mi kadonai Eloheinu ha-mazbihi la-shavet ha-mashbili lirot v'ashamayim va'aretz. And likewise, and this into the second aspect, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's greatness is ha-mazbihi la-shavet ha-mashbili lirot v'ashamayim va'aretz. He can both be above and dealing with grander matters, and he can descend to deal with the more mundane, seemingly small issues. Ve'omer ki ram Adonai ve'shafal yir'eh ve'gavoa mimerhat ye'eda. Again, that dichotomy, that uh, that schism between God's above and beyond and below and in. The misabev kal'almin, 
and mimalek uh, al-almin. Almin, of course, referring to uh, universes, existences. He's misabev, he's outside of them, while at the same time being in them. Uh, that's what Ramchal opens this Perik in describing. Again, a matter to spend a lifetime trying to understand and contemplate properly, but says Ramchal the Kevan Shiit Barer Lo Shibhol Makom Shehu Hu Omed Lifneshinato Yitbarah. He says, if it becomes clear to a person that in any and every engagement and place in this world and in life, you're standing in front of his presence as me'eleha tavobo. Again, Ramchal is telling us over here how to achieve Yirah. His answer, think about God's presence. It will then be an extension. It will then be a necessary reality. It's the word that he has over here, me'eleha. Me'eleha means it will just come. If you accept and realize his presence, it will be difficult not to be thinking about him. How do I come to his acceptance? It's a little circular over here. Through thinking constantly about him. But it is, it's the words I like to quote often in Masechet Berachot Adaf Kafhet, where Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai is lying on his deathbed and his students beg him for a blessing. And his blessing to them is, Beracha is, Yehiratzon, it should be the will of heaven that your morasha mind, your fear of heaven, should be kimora basavadam, like a fear you have of human beings. That's it, Adkan, they asked him. We're your students, we're great people. You just want us to have fear of heaven, like fear of human beings? His response, ulevai, if only you got there. What do you mean, if only you got there? And it says, when people sin, they say to themselves, who's watching? If I were able to have a siur, have a picture, a feeling, a real-life sense of God being present as I could and would if a human being was in the room, well, then I'd be distant from any sin. In other words, the description, as simple as it sounds, is one in which if you can be imaginative in a purposeful way to say God's presence is like the human being's presence, there's a constant surveillance, there's a constant presence, there's a constant involvement, that can and will, those are his words, it's Harambam's words as well, that a person is immediately jolted backward. The immediate, miyad, it's not, doesn't take much more contemplation. Once you grasp this point, once you're able to truly let that become a reality, well, that in turn is the inspiration. Again, that ma'asav, that shelo yikashel b'ma'asav, shelo yekara'uy lefi romimut kevodo. It's not about the mitzvot, it's not about the averot, it's about the everything that you're doing. It's about having a purposeful and mindful existence. It's along those lines that the Mishnah says at the beginning of Perek Bet of Avot, Da, you should know, what is above you, there's a watching eye, there's a listening ear, and all of your actions are written in Sefer, in a book of sorts. Once you accept God's constant involvement in listening and hearing and seeing, there's as a result an eternal reality with regards to your actions, so to speak, in that book of God. Uh, what I noticed is, over the course of time, in, commenta- in commenting on this Mishnah, uh, there is, over the course of time, a development of sorts. 
The first time I saw this in this book, it's called Ruach Hayim. Ruach Hayim is written by Rabbi Chaim Volajnar. He was a student of Gaon Midvilna, the father of uh, the yeshiva system, the yeshiva in Volajnar, Eitz Hayim. He was the founder of it. We learned together from his book, Nefesh Hayim. His commentary on Perkei Aboto is called Ruach Hayim. So he's commenting on this Mishnah, and here's a, first and foremost what he writes. He writes the following, he quotes a pasuk, and the pasuk says in Kohelet, Ki et kol... Ma'aseha Elohim Yavi Bemishpat. Again, Ki et kol Ma'aseha Elohim Yavi Bemishpat. Because the all action, God brings in judgment. It doesn't say, writes, writes uh, Rabbi Chaim Velazhin, Ki al kol Ma'aseh, that on all actions God will judge you. It says that in all actions or by all actions god will judge you the difference between the two is very telling one more time i can say i'm judging you on your actions for your actions or i could say i'm your actions are judging you that's the way to distinguish ki et kol he understands this your actions are judged by god as opposed to god is judging your actions what's the difference he suggests that your actions will speak for themselves so to speak, uh, you're going to be appearing and having no need for any dialogue or conversation. It will just be displayed. It will just be known. It will just be your actions spoke for themselves. There's no necessity of God to speak to you about them. Uh, how do you make sense of that? Uh, 200 years ago when this was written, it was very difficult to depict. His son, known as Rabbi Itzala of Velazhin, writes the following in a note. It says, V'yadu'a ata beteva. It's now known in nature, Keshenitvada yidi'ata dekratip kanoda. Now we know about the dekratip. What's a dekratip? I looked it up online, what a dekratip is. A dekratip is the first version of cameras. Said his son of, of Rabbi Chaim Velazhin, he says, now that we have in the world something called cameras, not so hard to wrap our head around a vision of your actions will speak for themselves. Now that Avi Harari speaking, we have video cameras, we have uh, the ability to record what happened, to say that your actions will speak for themselves is just easy to, to understand. In truth, Hafez Hayim, in several places, talked about how he was inspired by technology. Technology was not something that he bemoaned, he did suggest, though, that it's because of Yeridat HaDorot. Ironically, as people seemingly got more wise in terms of bringing forth different innovations, said Hafez Hayim, all those innovations, in his mind, anything and everything that exists, of course, is to bring us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do you understand, then, the telephone bringing us closer to God? He writes about it. It's dangerous. He writes a whole book. As a matter of fact, in that new book that I was telling you uh, about Hafez Chaim, it points out that in the same year, if I'm not mistaken, that the telephones were invented or became uh, widespread and used, and that's the year his Shemirat HaLashon was published, his book on Lashon Hara. So he certainly feared technology, but he at the same time said, each one of the technological advances, and he goes through them. I mean, he's, it's in his book, Shem Olam, among many others. He writes says the following. He says, 
I'm going to explain to you what we have today. V'chen itchadesh b'yamenu hakeli shemiah, parenthesis, shekorin telephone. Shenuchal ishmoa ba'kama asriyot parsaot b'merachot. You could hear from long across. V'chen itchadesh b'yamenu omanut ha'temunah, shekorin photographia. At that point, they're already calling it photographs. Sh'ayedesh emesh nuchal imshoch temunat ha'adam b'tzimtzum al-niyah. Av sh'adam b'atzmo lo haya yodea mitzay davar. You can be taken, a photograph can be taken of you without you even knowing it. V'chen itchadesh b'yamenu hakli shel dibu. Shikorin phonograph, in other words, the ability to record. And it's going to be an eternal uh, reminder of what you said. As says Hafez Hayim, along the same lines, his suggestion is each one of these can and should be, at the very least, use it purposefully. Also, let it inspire your relationship with God. Let it enter a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, so you understand the same way we accept and realize that things can go really quickly from one side of the world to the other. Your words are, so to speak, heard across the globe. You can see, he goes on to describe, we can use a telescope and see up to the moon. So too, whereas, says Hafez Hayim, long back, they didn't need these technological advances to make these realities clear to them. They read the Mishnah, he cites this Mishnah, that Ayin Ro'ah, Ozin Shomat, etc. And said, of course, that's the reality. He says, over the course of time, people scoff at that. How is it possible that a being can possibly uh, record and uh, show who I am and be involved with me? He says, uh, rest assured, human beings are on their way to getting there. Human beings can do this. We can already have a Mishnah and Avot speak to us at a time when we need it, um, a lot louder with a higher pitch volume than ever beforehand. I'll just on this point as well mention Chacham Ovadia Yosef in his book on Perkei Avot, Anaf Avot, he quotes a story. I, I saw this story uh, quoted in other books. Rabbi Amar, the former chief rabbi, quotes it from others. Uh, you can insert the name of the rabbi that it happened with, but he had to have lived 150 years ago. Chacham Ovadia quotes it from Rabbi Zundel of Salant, Rabbi Amar says it was one of the Admorim, a Hasidic Rabbi. Regardless, here's the story. The story is there was an individual who was in a wagon, and the wagon was going on its way, and that rabbi sitting in the back seat was, was enjoying the ride or purposefully getting somewhere. At a certain point, the wagon pulls over to the side of a large field, seemingly without anyone overseeing it, and there are bundles already packaged on the side of this field, clearly to be sold or to be um, brought to some place by the person who owns the field. The wagon driver uh, uh, ties up the horse, turns to the rabbi in the wagon and says, please be on the lookout if anyone's watching. Mm-hmm. And the rabbi understands this is a very difficult situation. On the one end, he's not stealing, but he's aiding in the uh, robbery of, uh, of the thievery of what's, about to, what's taking place over here by keeping quiet. Uh, so the wagon driver begins to collect the bundles and thinking quickly, of Salant, this Hasidic rabbi, whoever it may have been, maybe it wasn't anyone, but the story is telling nonetheless, starts screaming out, they're watching, they're watching. Of course, the wagon driver quickly uh, undoes the, the knot that he had on the ground for the horse, jumps on, leaves the things behind him, races away, but then at a certain point turns to the rabbi and says, but I didn't see anyone, where were they? And he said, did you need human beings to be watching you? They're watching. You were doing something objectively wrong. So you needed a human being to be watching in order to feel that you're threatened in this moment? 
oh please, let's understand that, that they're watching at all times. It's a telling story for the same simple point. It's a point that we know from, from the young age of, uh, I don't know, five years old, that Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is uh, truly everywhere. But we forget it, of course, at all moments of life where we are led by not always objective sinning. Objective sinning is one thing. I went against the Torah. That's one thing. But I entered into a situation where I wasn't entirely honest. And I can support my claim. Are you truly feeling God's presence in that moment? I'm not picking up the bundle from the side of the road per se, but I'm determining that I'm in the right in this moment and I could cut some corners. Are you feeling that presence? And the answer is nine times, 99 times out of 100, we're not. It sounds simple and yet, it's the second to last chapter in the book, Misilat Yeshadim, the book which is working on character development, on closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on our connection to spiritual matters. It's a seemingly straightforward point, but one which is consistently overlooked, neglected, and in turn, the lives that some of us live are determined by our failure in this. Ve'omnam hadavar hazeh, he writes, eno mitztayir hetev besechel ha'adam, those are the words we just mentioned. This matter doesn't become clear. Mitztayer milashon siur. It doesn't become engraved. It doesn't become a picture on our mind. It becomes a conceptual matter, something theoretical, something we know but aren't able to conjure up in the moment God's presence. El al hatmadat ha'itbonenut va'istakelut ha'gadol. The only way that we achieve it is through hitbonenut. Or hatmadat ha'itmadinut. Hatmada, a matmid, this person who does something constantly, tamid, at all times. Hitboninut, uh, looking into. Histakelut, uh, the ability to watch carefully, to be focused, to be intent, to be mindful. And it needs to be constant. The constancy is what bears fruits with regards to a matter like this. When it is something that has no physicality, it's only when we repeat it to ourselves. I'm recently reading from a book on a biography of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro. Rabbi Moshe Shapiro was, he passed away some few years ago, was a tremendous Baal Mahshava, a person who had a breadth of knowledge of Kola Torah Kula and ability to transmit it, but had a real depth that wasn't for the feeble-minded, but he was truly inspiring in all his ways. I, I own, what's that? No, 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 that's Rabbi Meir. I'm better to Shapiro. I'm not even related as far as I know. This one passed away just a few years ago. Meir Lublin passed away in 1930s. Anyway, he, he, the Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, as a matter of fact, I've, I've more than once quoted Rabbi Moshe Shapiro. Nobody pays attention to it. I walk around with his books more than anyone else's. And Mars Catton recently discovered him. I forgot where. And he said, do you know? I said, do you, I know about him. I was like, uh, he's my inspiration in so many things. Not that I understand him. But anyway, so this uh, book uh, was recently published. And it's, it's written by a person named uh, Rabbi Menachem Nissel. He was a student of Rabbi Shapiro for some 30 years. He says that uh, rarely did Rabbi Shapiro, I, I heard him speak several times, so that he didn't tell stories about himself, he didn't tell stories at all. Rarely did he talk personally about his, his, his past, about things that inspired him. It was very to the point and very sharp, etc. So he told once that he became most inspired to to the words of the Chachamim when he was a young boy. He was a young, young boy and he was playing outside of the Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. That's where he lived nearby, lived in Tel Aviv, I think, but he was playing outside 
and there was a blackout in the yeshiva. And he and his little friends, they ran into the yeshiva to make some noise and look for some action. Everybody had filed out. There was darkness in the building. They walked in and they found an old hunched over man in the corner who was repeating words. It seemed almost like he was stuck on it. He was just repeating a ma'amar of the hachamim. I don't know, he doesn't say what it was, but he's repeating, uh, let's say, uh, let's say this pasuk, you know, uh, you know, something like that, but again, and again, he said in the initial stage, he said it, and he said, we all looked at each other, and we were giggling, and we were laughing, we, uh, you know, I'm imagining the scene, some six, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds watching a rabbi, an old man just repeating a line, he looks like he's out of his mind, he's, uh, he said, but he continued. And he didn't pay any attention to us. And again, and again, and there was strength, and there was passion, and there was involvement. He said, by the end, before the light went on, he said, we all had tears in our eyes. We were all crying. He said, we felt a certain depth. But the point of the story, to me more than anything, was repetition. He just repeated it. It's, who was the rabbi? It was Rabbi Eliyahu Eliezer Dessler, who became an inspiration to Rabbi Shapira, um, who was one of the great Ba'alei Musa, one of the great Musa giants of you know, the 20th century. But that was very much their approach, very much in line with Misilatisha. Just repeat it. Just simple repetition. Uh, I know people who are involved with meditation know repetition. Simple repetition has a way of affecting us just stating the obvious, people who are looking to, I mean, it, it sounds funny, but addicts, you have to just repeat your fundamentals, your principles. There's a concept, not everyone does it, I'm Syrians, I don't think do it at all, but some people repeat the 13 ikarim of Harambam, principles of faith, every morning. Egyptians do it? Uh, no, it's in the What's that? The end of our beat, Yigdal on Friday night. Yeah, right. The Syrians don't do that either. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't need the repetition. No, but, uh, the, the scripture, again, I'm repeating the same thing every day. What's it affect? I mean, I say it all the time that I feel this is so true with regards to Kippur. I know it seems funny, but we do the vidui again and again and again. And what are we supposed to be feeling and how are we supposed to be changed? Repetition has a way, just very simply, psychologically speaking, uh, to, uh, enough to affect us. That, that's just the reality. Says Ramchal, you want to get this to become a part of you. Not just to be an intellectual thought, not just an inspiring idea, not just something I hope to remember. Oh, you have to repeat it. Since the matter is distant from our senses, we don't see God, we don't feel Him, we don't touch Him, we don't smell Him. It needs a lot of intense investigation, thought, uh, perspectives, and contemplation. And he says, and even once you get it, even when you live, I don't know, a week, a day, an hour with this sort of thought, it's quickly lost. Unless you constantly keep it. In that same book, in the introduction, uh, so this uh, student, Rabbi Nissel, tells the following story. He says, he came back, he does, did and does a lot of kiruv. So he came back from a trip in uh, Europe, and uh, he, the rabbi asked him, so what did you learn? He says, well, I visited the uh, Bet Knesset of the uh, Maharal of Prague, and when we were in Krakow, we, uh, we went into the Altnoy Shul, which was of Ramah, Rabbi uh, Moshe Isilis. And so he says, oh, well, what did you feel? He says, I felt inspired in those two places. And Rabbi, to, in truth, I have a question for you. I said, what's your question? He says, my question is, why did I feel so inspired there? Whereas when I go to the Kotel, I just don't have that sort of inspiration. So he was 
expecting the rabbi to give him some sort of rebuke. He was expecting the rabbi, he writes this, to explain to him how his perspective was entirely off. And so his response was just one line. He said to him, when you look straight at the sun, you don't seem to be seeing anything. And the description was, as I understand, that's the name of the book, Looking Into the Sun, because he's describing his rabbi uh, as the sun, which he you can't really grasp by just looking at it was that you sometimes or oftentimes come in contact with greatness, with true reality, with the kotel, with understanding of God, but uh, you become so conditioned to it and with it that it stops having an effect on you. So when you visit those other places, holy and, and, and significant in their own right, they impress you more than the sun itself. Just looking at the sun, you look away and you feel like you haven't seen anything. So his description again is, if this isn't something which becomes a part of you, which is not simple, well then it's going to be fleeting. It's going to be, the second I take my mind off of it, it's gone. He says, and therefore, the same way we can very clearly, as we said, uh, the more you think about it, the more you're focused on this, is the way to achieve this yira which is constant. So to distractions, inability to focus and to keep a mindset is the way that you lose this. So we're looking for yira, constant mindfulness, repetition, realization on a constant and consistent basis. Whether it's because you have burdens and things that are taking you down or you don't want to be focused on this. Anything which is called anything which is distracting will take you away from It's for this reason that God commanded kings the Pasuk says that a king, whereas every member of Am Yisrael has a mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah, uh, 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 what's the Pasuk? Sima Befihem, Shema Yisrael, I forgot the Pasuk. Yeah, of course, Pasuk. Uh, okay, there's a pasuk at the end of Sefer Devarim from which we derive the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah. Uh, it's, it's the Shira Hazot, Sima Beoznehem, I forgot the particulars. Every individual, what's that? Yeah, well, what's the pasuk? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you, okay, it's okay. Uh, regardless, help me if you can. Uh, regardless, there's a mitzvah for everyone. For a king, there's an additional mitzvah, not just to have a Sefer Torah, but to have a separate Sefer Torah that he carries around with him, similar to the way that children on Smachat Torah have their own personal fake Sifre Torah, the king is supposed to have his own Sefer Torah. What's the purpose of that own Sefer Torah? Well, the Pasuk says, So that he achieves, so he learns how to have Yira. Well, what's the connection? What's the correlation? The king needs to have his personal Sefer Torah, which he's karabo. Which he reads from his entire life, so that he gets yirah. If it's not constant, well, then the yirah will not be present. Uh, that's the description. And furthermore, read carefully and realize. The Pasuk says that the king will learn to fear. It's not just going to be fear. 
It's learning to fear. He says, since this yira isn't just naturally ingrained within us, because of the coarseness of our physical being, it's hard for us to truly attach this. So here's the pasuk. Thank you. The pasuk is by every individual. So that's where the Chachamim and Masechet Sanhedrin derive from that, that the Shira Hazot is not just Ha'azinu, the Shira is the whole Torah. But the king has to do more than that. And the king being the paradigm of all who are looking to achieve Yira. So that we learn to fear a constant thought will bring that about. Nothing else, says Ramchal. Don't assume you'll just live life by going through the road and routine and achieve this. But I did the mitzvot. That's a beginning. But constant thought, it takes 10 minutes, it takes 15 minutes, it takes one minute. Stop and be purposeful on a daily basis. It needs to be a constant involvement. It's the Gemara that we've mentioned more than once in Masechem Menachot, which derives the, the, uh, the obligation to say a hundred berachot every day. What's God asking? You have to have fear. What's the derasha? What are the rabbis saying? A hundred berachot brings forth fear, constant thought. Every time I take a sip of the tea, I have to think about him. It's an injected way of being constantly thinking about him. It's this whole pedic. The pedic is one in which you're looking for this yira, which means involvement. It needs to be something you're working on constantly. When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying, when you're waking up. Until it becomes clear the truth of this. God's involvement, his presence in all places. That we stand in front of him. The way Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai said to his students, the same way I stand in front of you, so too I can and should be thinking that way about God. That will bring this true omer. Listen to the request of David from God. God, teach me how to walk in truth with you. Make my heart one so that I come to true yira. Yira means a constant focus, contemplation, cognition of God's involvement and presence in our life. That is no simple feat. It's simply stated, very difficult, a lifelong uh, endeavor to achieve. Amen, amen.